Welcome to Second Nature Podcasts. My name is Mike Brown, and this is my story. Getting home from the ranch, back into the real world, I knew that life was going to be different. I knew that the safety of treatment was no longer. There would still be resources for me to use, but there would also be temptations. Temptations that I knew I couldn't run from. As I mentioned earlier, my plan was to meet them head on, present myself to them. Knowing that little voice was still there, but it had been quieted. I now had the strength to silence it when it tried to speak up. I looked at my sobriety as having something to prove to myself, prove that I can live in a world surrounded by alcohol. It was a new challenge. I can still hang out with my buddies, go to bars, do everything I was doing before, but just not drink or use drugs. Was this the best idea or situation to put myself in after only being sober for a month? No, but I saw it as confronting the problem head on. We live in a world where alcohol isn't just accepted, but encouraged. If this is the way the world works, then I'm not gonna be able to hide under a rock, never going or doing anything. I had to accept that for my well-being, I will never escape its presence, but my will and all the things I had gone through and come out of were stronger than the simple task of raising glass to lips. Before treatment, this was impossible, but now I had taken the time to learn about myself and addiction. I was given tools to overcome urges. I had also shown my family and friends that I was serious about quitting and they were there to support me through it. I did not expect anyone around me to change their lifestyle just because I had changed mine. The first weekend when I got home, we were having my grandma's 80th birthday party. My family asked if I would prefer if there was no alcohol there. I of course said no, it's okay if it is. This was my first chance to put myself in a situation with it. Now this wasn't a high risk situation because if I tried to have a drink, I would have been mobbed. But that was also another sign a sign of the support I had. I had some great conversations at this party with extended family members, and they said how proud of me they were. Praise was something that has always been so uncomfortable for me because I wouldn't allow myself to accept it due to knowing all my inner faults. But this time was different. I was proud of myself, so it was very warm and welcoming to hear. When I got home, I did not hesitate to hang out with my friends. Initially, I could only last an hour or so before I had to remove myself from the situation. I tried non-alcoholic beers, but quickly realized what was the point. The taste reminded me too much of the real thing, and my habits hadn't changed. I just wanted another one, consuming useless calories with none of the supposed benefits. At first, being sober and present in the atmosphere of a situation that I had been in so many times before, while actively addicted, for long periods of time was too much to handle. But over time, I was able to become more comfortable in these situations. I also had to learn how to interact with people in these situations while sober, without my old friend that used to do the talking. When I realized that even though I am sober, other people are starting to feel the effects. The less awkward it got, I could naturally be myself. 
I have always enjoyed jokes and sarcasm, and I quickly realized that I didn't need alcohol to partake in the bullshitting that would ensue. It was easy with my close friends, but a little more challenging with those former drinking buddies. When I got comfortable enough, I started to go out to the bar. This brought another situational challenge for me. I would run into people I knew or meet new people that didn't know about my situation. It was quite awkward at first. I would try to avoid it at all costs. I was embarrassed. I would quickly say I don't drink or have stopped and then change the subject. I had to understand that this was just me, in my own head, because for the most part people didn't care or think that much of it. It was my anxiety that I assumed they would press me for the real reason. But it turns out, most of the time they wouldn't think twice about it or would say something along the lines of, good for you. The first couple times I ran into guys I had played with who had heard what I had done would say how happy or proud they were that I did something about it. Those few words helped immensely. Being present in a situation at a bar where the main activity is drinking and being able to walk out sober slowly added to my confidence. Taking that in, observing all the people opened up my perspective. I saw many people who were like me, kept going back to the bar, hands never empty, but also people who were in control. I had never been able to notice those in control because I never was. It was eye-opening at first, as I thought everyone drank like I did. They were able to not get carried away, not do things that they would wake up embarrassed about. They could remember the night. I was impressed at how they did this. It emphasized that alcohol affects everyone differently. Some don't like it at all, some have a little and say I'm good, some go off the deep end on occasion, and some every time. It emphasizes that the substance is always the same, but how people react to it is different. I saw myself in the people who couldn't control it, who were sloppy, hard to stand, or string a sentence together. I wouldn't judge them, but I would tell myself that isn't me anymore. As a night like this would continue, most of my friends would progressively get more drunk. I started to classify this as nobody's home, and it might be time for me to go. I would see if anyone wanted a ride, another benefit of being sober, no more cabs, and my friends liked that they always had a free Uber. We would usually get some form of fast food on the way home, and then it was 2 or 3 a.m. I continued to partake in these nights until it started to get old, and I realized I didn't need this. I had proven to myself that I can be put in situations where alcohol is abundantly present and come through it sober. I didn't need to have late nights, eat shitty food, and throw off my sleep schedule. A couple questions you may have is why was I living the party lifestyle when I didn't drink anymore? It may have been because my friends were all still doing it and I wanted to spend time with them. Maybe I was still holding on to that little piece of my former self, but eventually I realized my old self was gone. I didn't need that side of me any longer. Now, I wouldn't recommend this to anyone who is newly sober, trying to get sober, or hasn't done any serious work on themselves, and they definitely did not recommend this at the ranch. They actually said the opposite. 
They wanted to make sure that you put yourself into situations for success. Not go right back into the same lifestyle, hanging out with the same people that you used to drink or use with. But I knew that wouldn't be a successful way for me to go about it. I went to treatment to gain the strength to say no and to show my friends that I was serious about quitting. And they met me exactly where I needed them to. I also knew that hanging out with these guys, if I tried to have a drink, again, I would be mobbed. The main thing driving me to go into these situations was that inner competitiveness. To prove to myself that I could stay strong, no matter what situation presented itself. There were other positives that came from going right back into the same situation. Learning that for the most part, people didn't care whether you drink or not. That fear I had about what others would say turned out to be false and overblown. We get so caught up in our own shit that we think that people will care or notice if we're not drinking. I learned very quickly that my drinking was only important to me. Nobody that mattered seemed to be bothered. Once I conquered this and had some successful nights putting inventory into the sobriety warehouse, I realized I didn't need to go out as much. Although there was one thing that was also making me want to continue. That was the potential to meet a special gal. It was fun for a while. I never really had any success. There were a few, but for the most part, I realized it wasn't the place to meet someone. So when I got home, I was essentially living the same lifestyle, only this time sober. It was the only lifestyle I knew. I soon moved into one of the sides of that townhouse I told you about. I was with my two good pals, the same ones who were worried about me that final night. I wasn't worried about this situation because I knew I had their support. The other side of the wall had a few guys living there that were still heavy into the party scene. Unfortunately, I shared a wall with them and there were nights where the music was cranked a little loud and a little late, but hey, old Mike would have been right there with them. So I started to not go out as much anymore, but I needed to find different ways to spend my time. When you get sober, you realize how much time you have, time that I either spent drunk or hung over. They preach finding ways to keep yourself busy at the ranch, so I needed to find something. I had started working out in the gym that was there and realized how important it was for my mental health. This was something that I started to take seriously. My sister started doing CrossFit and had been dating one of the coaches and he kept saying I should give it a try. So after a little pestering, I went to a class, expecting to see a bunch of bros with their shirts off I was pleasantly surprised when it was just a bunch of regular people from all walks of life. In a way, the same makeup of people that I encountered at the ranch. I went to a few classes and I was hooked. I drank the Kool-Aid, unspiked of course. I saw it as a way I could continue to improve myself, not just by being able to lift heavy weights, but gaining skill by learning Olympic lifts such as the snatch and clean and jerk realizing that there was technique you needed to improve in order to do it right. The importance of mobility so that you could get into the right positions. And it wasn't just Olympic lifting, but also gymnastics movements that was exciting to me. If you would have told me while in active addiction that one day I would be able to do a ring muscle up or walk on my hands, 
I would have told you that you're living on a different planet. But after a lot of time and work, I am able to do both of those things. Little humble brag there for you. I think the main thing that got me hooked was the competitive aspect of it. Coming from a sporting background, that will always be in me. Some people look at CrossFit as a competition against others. And yes, there is that aspect, but I mainly looked at it as another way to be competitive with myself. How can I get faster, stronger, and gain skills that I never imagined I could? This was the thing I needed. This was what I was going to fill my time with. This is also a good example of change. Going from someone who hated lifting weights and working out to someone who exercised raced for fun. Once I got into it, another and the most beneficial aspect presented itself. And this was the community it provided. A group of people that had something positive in common was what I knew I had to find. Luckily, I found it in CrossFit. I would go four to five times a week to start. Saturday mornings were my favorite. We would do a 9 a.m. lifting class and then 11 a.m. CrossFit class. The physical exercise made me feel great, but also the fact that it was a Saturday morning and I was doing something healthy and productive. That sensation, after years of feeling useless and trapped in a repetitive cycle of abuse, is something that is hard to explain. And all I was doing was waking up at 8 a.m. to go work out, staying sober on a Friday and Saturday night, making Sundays not just bearable, but livable and lovable. It sounds so easy, but it was hard to get there, and it was worth every ounce of pain. What I brought home from the ranch was ways that worked best for me to stay on my path of recovery. I continued to do my morning meditations. I would check in and out over texts with Steve. We did that for a few months. I started with an addictions group that met on Wednesday nights with a counselor. The group consisted of four to five people. It was like the small groups in treatment. I did that for a few months before moving to one-on-one -on -one counseling with that same counselor. I felt that the one-on-one -on -one was more beneficial to me. In the small groups, it was kind of like AA meetings. We discussed a lot about past experiences and issues associated with our addictions. The counselor believed I had made good progress on my own personal past and needed to focus more on my future. I never forgot about where I came from, but I didn't want to focus so much on my past anymore. I had done the work to move on, and one-on-one -on -one sessions helped me to continue to progress further. I signed up for a couple spring classes. I had to redo an accounting course as I didn't reach the minimum grade the first go-round. I took this class in the prime of my addiction, never giving myself any chance to succeed. I entered it thinking, I'm not a numbers guy, I can't make any sense of this, and in the end was never able to grasp it. I signed up for it right away because of two things. One, I could get it done in a six weeks with a more compact spring class schedule. And two, what better way to test my newly sober brain than with something that gave me so much trouble while in active addiction. Now I wish I could tell you that I rain-manned it and got an A+, but let's be real. I did, however, do miles better than the first go-round. I believe I ended up with a C plus or a B-, which for my standards is pretty good. The thing that I remember most 
was that I was actually able to focus and put in time to study for the final exam, and it paid off. I pleasantly surprised myself with how well I did on it. I also learned soon after getting out I had been given a Bantam AA team as a head coach. This came as they did not give the head coaching position for the Bantam AAA team back to the guy I had coached with in the year prior. A friend that I called while in treatment, who I coached with, delivered the news. My initial reaction was not positive. I was upset. He also told me that I had the option to become a head coach of a Bantam AA team. At first, I let my ego get in the way. I can't go down a division. I need to keep coaching at the AAA level in order to move any higher. I was able to take the tools that I had newly acquired and talk it through with Big Mike and realized that this, in fact, was exactly what I needed. I needed to be a head coach if I ever wanted to be one. It allowed me to get out from behind someone else and be in control. I also got to coach with three of my best pals, which made it a lot of fun. That first year as a head coach went okay. Our team wasn't the best, but we made pretty good progress from where we started and where we finished. I contemplated telling the parents what I had just done, gone to treatment, and was now sober. I thought for some reason that I owed it to them, as they were trusting me and coaching their kids. In the end, I realized that I didn't need to. What I needed to do was show up every day, and that me being sober had nothing to do with it. I needed to do my best. I knew that I was now capable of the responsibilities that would come with the role. After that season was over, I realized that I had been coaching the same age group for four years and wanted to try and move up an age group, so we interviewed for a minor midget 15 team. In the end, we didn't get it and was offered another Bantam AA. Not exactly pleased that we didn't get the minor midget team, I, had, I decided to join the staff of the Bantam AAA team that had taken over the year prior. The guy in charge was a great coach very dedicated, and I felt I could learn a lot from him. The main thing I took from that year of being a head coach was that I still had lots to learn on the coaching front. I knew the game well, but all the other aspects that went along with coaching was something that I was short on. I went back to being an assistant under a coach that I respected, someone who didn't play the game at a high level, but understood the coaching side more than I did. The reason I am sharing this by going to treatment and gaining appreciation for learning made me realize that I had and still have so much to learn. I realized that I approached coaching all wrong. I came in thinking that my high level of playing experience was going to get me where I wanted to go. Having too much ego and thinking that I knew more than those who didn't play at the same level, not realizing that there was so much more to coaching than just knowing the game. You have to learn how to manage 20 personalities. Keep them all on board if you want any chance of success. This, along with my own battles with mental health, sparked my curiosity into learning about the human psyche, our emotions that drive us, and all things habits and behaviors. In total, I coached for six seasons, the last three of which were sober, all with the same age group. 13 and 14 year olds, all with the same organization. 
I learned a lot from it and had both positive and negative experiences. Things didn't always go the way I would have liked them to. Was I too loyal to that organization? Maybe. Loyalty is something that lives deep inside me. In the end, coaching played a large role in me realizing that I needed to change. In a way, it saved my life. The guilt that I was experiencing was the straw that broke the camel's back. It made me come to realize that if I wanted to do anything with my life, I was not going to be able to do it while in active addiction. In the three years after treatment, I did an internship at the Western Hockey League and got a job managing hockey schools and other combine camps. My last year of coaching hockey ended in February or early March of 2020 and coincided with the coronavirus pandemic that took over the world. I had been making good progress with coaching, but felt I needed to add more to it. I had moved to a new CrossFit gym a year or so earlier and was building a relationship with the owners. They didn't know it at the time, but I had started to think about getting into coaching CrossFit as well. Then news of the coronavirus started to spread. There were talks of the government shutting down businesses, which I thought at the time was wild, and it would never come to that. I flew to BC on Thursday, March 12th for a hockey school meeting. I believe it was the last day that they allowed people to fly, and the same day they shut down the NHL for the season. When they started shutting down the sports leagues, I knew that something was coming because that's big business and those guys don't mess around with their bottom lines. I started watching the news, trying to figure out what was going on. All that really did was put a sense of fear in me. When I saw the toilet paper raiders rushing to the grocery store, I didn't think shit, I need some TP for when I have to, but I did decide that I should probably go get some food because who knows what was going to happen in the next couple days. After they shut everything down, schools, businesses, exercise facilities, restaurants and bars, demanded us to stay inside, keep away from our neighbors, our families, especially our parents and grandparents who were vulnerable, forcing us to become inactive and go into seclusion, keeping only essential businesses, one of which being liquor stores open. Liquor stores are essential to those who are in addiction because if they aren't able to continue drinking, then it can be bad news. But availability of alcohol can also be bad news for the general population. Everything that they wanted us to do went against everything that I had learned and needed in order to avoid a relapse. I understood what the point of it all was, two weeks to stop the spread. We're all in this together, but physical activity and community were my two main priorities. Extended seclusion and isolation were things that I needed to avoid at all costs. Staying in my one-bedroom condo was going to be a recipe for disaster. So I had to get out of there and went to my family cabin. At the time it wasn't recommended, but not illegal, to cross provincial borders. There was talk of putting a ban on interprovincial travel, so I got out as soon as I could. In a way, I was making the same trip to the cabin as I did years back when I went to go on that bender, taking myself away from the world in order to feed my addiction. Only this time, I was taking myself there in order to starve it. I knew I had to allow a little freedom if I was going to be isolated and secluded. Being trapped in 600 square feet was not the place. This also allowed me to have some room 
to be physically active. I had space to bring weights and set up my own gym. I understood that this is a privilege that the majority did not have, and I was fortunate to have this option, so I took advantage of it, as I hope you would have too. Finding someone to create a life with was something that was high on my priority list when I got home from the ranch. I did not expect to find a girl immediately or settle down with the first one, but I knew that it was something that I wanted. It was another factor that drove me to sobriety in the first place. Wanting a healthy and loving relationship with someone in order to start and grow a family, knowing I would never get that if I continued an active addiction. I started with the only thing I could control and change, myself. Being sober, happy, and healthy makes it a lot easier to attract girls than the state I was in before. I had tried the bar scene, but had more success on the dating apps. It created a different situation where you don't need to actively go out in order to meet someone. You just swipe, like, or comment, and then if they reciprocate, you can start a conversation. Luckily, I had used one of these apps and matched someone who would turn out to be a very special person to me around Christmas of 2019. We started messaging each other and went on a few dates. After a few dates, I knew she was different and that our relationship had potential. We connected on multiple levels. Her mind and personality was both bright and enthusiastic. She was strong-willed and caring, sensitive and empathetic had an innocence about her that took hold of me. She did not care about the superficial. We had meaningful conversations. She got my sense of humor and had one of her own. And last but certainly not least, she is absolutely stunning. The feeling I got from her was that she could look at me for who I was the moment we met. She did not care who I had been or worried about who I was going to be in the future. She was able to see the real me the person I had worked so hard to become. We had met three months before the pandemic and were seeing each other quite often leading up to the lockdowns. I took off to the cabin and we kept in constant contact. She drove out to visit me not long after I left town. She planned to stay for three days, but it ended up being almost a week. I enjoyed every minute of her being there, never once feeling overwhelmed by her stay. On the last morning, she made us pancakes. We sat down to enjoy them, and she asked, what are we doing? And I replied, having breakfast, knowing very well what she actually meant. But of course, not wasting an opportunity to make one of my lighthearted, sarcastic remarks. No, she said, what are we doing, as in between us? I replied, oh, you want to be my chick? Yeah and I want you to be my dude, she replied. And that was that, we committed to each other. It was one of the easiest things I ever did. All the previous times when commitment was brought up, I struggled with it because I knew it wasn't right. This time was different. I knew it was right. I knew she was right for me and I was right for her. I hadn't told her yet, but I already loved her. And to commit to that love, was the easiest thing I ever did. I stayed at the cabin and she returned to Calgary. 
she would come back to visit a few more times, slowly witnessing my transformation from being clean-shaven and short-haired to a full beard and growing out the locks. I had fun with it, and she put up with it. I spent about two and a half months there. I was laid off from my salary position with the hockey schools. I got on the CERB, the Canadian Emergency Response Benefits. I was isolated, but I was okay. I had space and was able to keep up with my physical activity. I know I said that isolation was something that I needed to avoid, but that was true isolation, cutting myself off from everyone in my life. I didn't have that. Even though I was physically alone, for the most part, emotionally, I had Steph and my friends and family that I kept in contact with. We hopped on the Zoom trends, and although it was not the same as true in-person contact, it did the trick for the time being. I had also come to terms with the fact that in sobriety, I had become more introverted. While in active addiction, I showed traits of extroversion in order to bring myself out of depression, I constantly wanted to hang out with others. I used this as another way to distract myself from my problems. I simply could not be alone with myself because I would have too much time to think. Picture it this way. We all have a person that we can't stand being in the same room with. The person I could not stand being in the room with was me. In sobriety, that all changed. I became comfortable spending time alone. I worked to change my personal opinion of self so much that I no longer needed to constantly seek company. I can now sit in peace on my own.